This program is brought to you by the Gin Society, www.ginsociety.com. Hello, welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. Today, former Australian cricket captain Mark Taylor, playing 104 tests and 113 one-day internationals, scoring 1,900. And in 1999, he was named Australian of the Year and Father of the Year. He's now a cricket commentator and a mad fisherman. And Nick Farr-Jones, former Australian rugby union captain, playing 63 tests for Australia, including 36 as captain. He won the World Cup in 1991 and the Bledisloe in 1992. He's a member of the Order of Australia. And in 1999, he was inducted into the International Rugby Hall of Fame. He's a lawyer by trade and now works in funds management. Let's get started. On the show today, two former Australian captains from rugby and cricket, Mark Taylor, former Australian cricket captain, and in 1999, you were named Australian of the Year and Far of the Year. I think you are out of the country for 240 days. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> That's a really good effort. Um, and mm. Nick Farr-Jones, former Australian rugby union captain. So yeah, welcome to the show, boys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Shane. Thanks for thanks, joining nice us. Nice to be here. So how's things going, Tub? See, I know you've been doing a lot of fishing. Yeah, well, I'm sure the last probably four or five months has been difficult for everyone. I've... I've got to say it hasn't been as tough for me as I reckon it has been for a lot of other people. Sure. This has always been my quiet time. Rugby season, winter time is generally fishing time for me, uh, as you say. The only thing that's the, obviously the COVID-19 has meant for me is that I've had to limit where I go fishing. Uh, normally <laughs> I would go fishing anywhere that I can get invited. But it's been a lot more local, but generally very quiet, as I normally am in winter. But still getting – still wetting a line here and there, which has been good fun. So what do you fish for? Generally brim – in estuaries, yep. but also bass. Love my bass fishing. Okay. And I've actually been up to the Hunter Valley in recent times, fish right. Glenbourne and St Clair, two uh, impoundments up there, fish for bass up there and love it because it's also got some nice wines up there too. I was going to say, you can so. match up some nice wines <laughs> as well. <laughs> that's, part of the, that's part of the fun. And Nick, so what's taking up your time these days, mate? Mate, I haven't changed. I haven't missed a step with this, uh, this pandemic. Yep. Um, I'm lucky enough that we work. On level forty-one, I overlooked the best harbour in the world. Um, so the Opera House on the on the right, and the the Harbour Ridge on the left. I went from law into banking. I was lucky enough to have fourteen years with Socgen, Société Générale, four years in Paris, and then for the last decade, uh, I joined Taurus Funds Management. So we manage about two and a half billion dollars investing and lending in the global mining sector. And you know, thankfully, Shane, um, you know, it's been mining that's that's kept our economy afloat, yeah. particularly in WA. I mean, we're mm. we're mining and shipping about six hundred million and tonnes of, of very expensive at the moment um, iron ore over to Asia and, um, you know, what that's doing for royalties and, and as far as jobs is, is fantastic in the coal industry. So, look, it's a really interesting sector. I've been involved in it for 25 years. I love the variety that it brings you, mm. the people, the countries you go to. Um, obviously, the countries are difficult to visit now, but, you know, I, I love the business. Fantastic. Now, I'm really excited to have you both on the show because um, I think you two are probably two of our great sporting leaders. So I want to talk a bit about leadership. And I remember, Tubby, vividly when you were named, I think you were in the New South Wales change room and you were named Australian captain. And it was like a light bulb sort of went on in, in your head. And you turned straight into that strength. I remember vividly. You <laughs> reckon I changed overnight. <laughs> <laughs> but what got to grow up. Yeah, that's, that's no good. <laughs> if, you, if you were talking to a young kid about leadership, what, what would you say? What would you recommend? Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind when people ask me that sort of question is one piece of advice I got from Alan Border, mm-hmm. who was the captain of the Australian cricket team before I was. Uh, my first game as captain of the Australian cricket team was a one-day game. 
at the SCG. And I went from 12th man into the team because AB had torn a hamstring to obviously open the batting and captain the side. <laughs> so I go from 12th man to, to be the leader, which is a, a, a bit yeah. of a rise, you know. And I remember running around the, the track and warming up. Bob Simpson was the coach, you know. I remember the, I remember the likes of uh, – I remember Mike Whitney was in the yeah. team and some of my New South Wales mates were there. And I'm thinking, what, what do I do? What do I say? And AB, I remember, walked up to me because he was hobbling around with his torn hammy. And uh, he said, Tub, you know, good luck today, your first game as skipper. And I said, oh, thanks, matey. And he said, look, I've got no advice for you. I said, the only thing I would tell you is just, just do it your way. Yeah, do advice. it the way you yeah. want to do it. That, that's why they make you a leader. So do what you want to do the way you want to do it. And it's very easy to say that. But when you think about it, it it's so true that mm. people make you a leader because they like what you do or what yeah. you have done. So – for, for God's sake, when you get in there, yeah. don't go and change. Don't go and be something that you think is the right thing or the right person to be. So uh, I think as a leader I try to learn from watching other people mm-hmm. play and also learn uh, and, and how they captain a side or how they a feel they might set. But I also just tried to be the person that I always was coming into that, that day at the SCG yeah. in 1992. Yeah. And where yourself, Nick, what was your sort of leadership very, style? It was very similar, Shane, to what, what Tubbs just said, in that whilst I was, you know, I played a lot of sport when I was young. Mm-hmm. I, I loved soccer when I was a young kid. I grew up in the Shire. Um, you know, I played cricket, tennis, golf, swimming, athletics. I loved it, and I was often captain. But I suppose to put it in perspective, you know, I, I changed to rugby because the school I went to, a place called New England College back in 1974, didn't play soccer in winter. Right. They do now. Mm. But, you know, it's pretty well documented that I didn't play first 15. Then went to Sydney University, played alongside people like Michael Hawker, learned a lot about the game. All the other sports got carved off. And then four years later, I'm, you know, I'm selected to play for Australia. But the year before, I was playing second division rugby with Sydney Uni. So it was a bit of a, an interesting rise. But, you know, when Bob Dwyer, well, actually, Bob Dwyer was the coach. Alan Jones was my first national coach for four mm. years. A terrific coach taught me a lot. But he got dumped. Bob Dwyer came in. Strangely, I was appointed captain in 1988. I was overseas with my wife in Europe. And I got a phone call from, of all people, my mother-in-law to say, I just listened to the midday news. You've been made wallaby captain. Now, Bob (laughs) Dwyer, who I really didn't know, didn't even call me. Wow. To say, I'm thinking of making you captain. But as as Tubby said, I, I immediately thought, geez, I've got to change it. What, what, you know, this is unusual. I would have thought there were six or seven cabs in the rank in front of me, you know, and, and probably like you when you were made captain out of the blue from 12th man. How old were you at this I stage? was 26. 26. So I would have thought there was a bunch of guys that were more experienced than I. And, and then all of a sudden, it wasn't panic, but it was just strike. You know, what did Andrew Slack, my first captain, what did he do? And eventually you realise that you've just, just as Mark said, you've got to be yourself. Someone's seen leadership qualities in you. Just let them fly. Mm. And, and yeah, of course, you've got to learn. You've got to learn from experience and from the bad games and turn those around. But be yourself and let those mm. leadership qualities just flow. And what about both those teams, both cricket and rugby in that era, there's some big egos. How do you oh, you're, manage you're, those you're, egos? You're talking about the Shane Warns and those war boys <laughs> and that sort of stuff. Oh, you're shocking. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> um, oh, look, I, I don't think you turn anyone's ego around. Yeah. You, you you just massage every player. Some mm-hmm. players are low on confidence and yet you see brilliance in them. You yeah. just try and bring out mm. the best 
in those players. That's all you can do. Um, I, I just want to add quickly to, to Nick's story. But when I was actually officially made captain of the of the Australian cricket side, I was at uh, Peter Taylor's farm. Now Peter Taylor, the former off-spin mm-hmm. bowler for New South Wales and Australia and Queensland, um, I was at, on, on his cotton farm, thirty uh, k's south of Moree, at a right. place called Gurley. When I actually re- received a phone call to say, Mark, we've made you the official captain. This is in 1994 when AB had retired. Well, I had to jump on a plane back to Sydney to this press conference. And I I, must, I didn't prepare at all mm, for this press really. conference. I, I honestly thought I'd be walking into a room a bit like here we are doing this podcast. Yeah. I, you know, two men and a dog, maybe one camera, and they'd say, well done, and I'd, I'd have a glass of champagne and, and go. Well, it turned out that the room was full of media and it was there that I realised, wow, this, Become is, real. this is a bit serious. Yeah. So I better start getting my head around well, this. Well, they've but, always said it's the second most important role, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, well, I, I, did, I, didn't, I did not look at it like that. I would look mm. at it, they've made me captain of a cricket team. And once again, I go back to those initial thoughts where I've made captain of the cricket team because A, of the way I played the game and, and, and B, because of the way I mingled with people mm. within that mm. team. So when you get back to your, your, your question about the egos... You know, Warney, I, I love captaining Shane yeah, Warne. Who uh, wouldn't? <laughs> yeah, you know, Steve, Mark War, Glenn McGrath, these sorts of guys. Yeah, we've all got egos. Every person's got an ego. Mm. Um, some are more publicised than others. Sure. But generally the people, well, I'm not saying generally, I think every person who gets picked to play cricket for Australia just wants to play well. And they, yeah, they want to win games of cricket. They want to perform at the best of their ability. Mm. My role or your role as the captain is to try and bring the best out of them Within a team environment, and that's the challenge. And who are the challenging characters, Campo and that? <laughs> yeah, Campo would have been there. But, but look, Campo is a different, unique person. Yeah. He always sat at the front of the bus. You know, he, he had his idiosyncrasies. He didn't drink beer, you know, and, and, and cricket and rugby tours. It's, it's, you know, a lot of, of socialising <laughs> yeah, when, you, when you've was. done the job, particularly if you've had a win. Campo, who occasionally would have a tea and Maria, he was just really? a different sort of a person. But... Yeah, there'd be clashes every now and then. And I think sort of as Mark was saying, it's bringing out the best of people, but also realising where some things have to change. I mean, that 91 World Cup, Shane, we got over there and we had a week just preparing before you then have the big dinner and then you disappear to the various pool games and, you know, somewhere in Wales and somewhere in Scotland and somewhere in England. And I remember during that first week of training, particularly the first few days, there was something going on between my two most experienced guys um, in the back line, Michael Liner and David Campisi. And I couldn't work it out, but we had a lot of young guys who had just come into the team, Jason Little, Tim Horan. These kids were 19 and 20. And they're looking at the more experienced guys to be the leaders. And there was something going wrong between Campo and Noddy that I couldn't work out. And I just said to the boys... Guys, we're going to meet tonight at 6 o'clock at the bar of the Lensbury Hotel where we were staying before dinner. And it turned out that Campo had just written a book, released it before we went, and it was critical of Michael Liner's style of play, the Queensland style of play, conservative, too much kicking and all that. So Noddy got wind of this. Noddy's, you know, I mean, I'm so privileged to have played with both, Mm. but, you know, to have Michael as my number 10 for a decade was, was fantastic. And... Michael's a very sensitive person. You've got to understand the personalities mm. and their sensitivities and, 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 you know, Noddy could blow up very quickly. And so I realised that this had happened and I said, look, guys, you're probably never going to be best friends and I'm sure you will never be best friends, but we are the leaders of this team. We are the most experienced. Yeah, We're on a six-week campaign mm. to win this World Cup. 
you guys coexist, mature, and get on with things and lead these young guys. And so it's it's things like that that you, as a leader, you've you've got to work out and you've got to change very quickly because you know World Cups only come around every four years. Right. Are we lacking that leadership now? In rugby here? I don't know. I'm, I'm, too, I'm too much from a distance. I mean, I yeah. couldn't work out why Michael Hooper yep. decided he didn't want to captain New South Wales and, and he'd continue mm. to captain the Wallabies. I'm too far from a distance. But look, yeah, you know, from a distance, I, I, I think that generally speaking, some people, you know, get a bit upset when you say this, but I just think there's a soft underbelly, um, you know, in our, in our not so much the leadership, but mm. just, you know, in – the desperation, I would call it, to win and to get the success that we need. You know, I just, I get, I do get pissed off. You know, when <laughs> sure. you, when you, when we have a loss and you see the boys, you know, just going up and it just doesn't seem like it hurts anymore. And and yet I look at, you know, my ten years that I had with the team, eighty four to ninety three, we played through the amateur period, and I, I feel I'm the last of the lucky ones to have done that for yeah. many reasons. But it really got to me if, if we played badly and lost, particularly when we should have won, and and, and it. You know, as my wife knows well, don't come close to me for, you know, 48 hours almost. And it just seems to me that the guys are mentally a bit soft. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I think to be fair to all, all the sporting people of today, I, I think the criticism is so loud these mm. days that, that it actually it, it actually makes people not want to become leaders. Mm. When, when I was yeah. the same age as – as Nick, you know, that's that, that era during the 90s, that there wasn't that social media aspect to the game. So, yes, you got criticised when you didn't play well. Yes, you got criticised mm. when you when you lost a game of cricket. But it didn't last or linger. Mm. It, 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 it seems to last longer now and, and it's louder now. That mm. Everyone's analysing every part of your game, your leadership style, your your own personal performance. Yeah. So I think a lot of young people today think, well, I just want to, I just want to go under the radar. Mm. I just want to – the money's good. Yep. I'm getting paid well. I, I just want to sail underneath the radar, uh, live a good life, play my game, get my stats up, and then eventually I say, wow, haven't I done well? Mm. I don't want to stick my head up above water because once you do, someone's so ready, yeah. and I say so ready to knock it off, it's not funny. And that's the disappointing thing of today. And that's mm. why I believe there's less leaders around now than there may be there was, say, 20 years ago. And, and, Mark, what that leads to, I think, is less debate between coaches and captains. Mm. I mm. think coach and captaincy is like chairman, chief executive. There has to be robust debate. You get on the same mm. page at the end of the yep. day. It's the chief executive's role to execute the plan. But, for example, with Bob Dwyer, my coach, we would often have huge discussion, mm. extremely robust about the way we're going to do things, we'd eventually get on the same page. But coming back to what you said, I don't think professional players, because they're perhaps more concerned of flying under the radar, of getting their next contract, yep. they don't challenge. They no. don't challenge the way we're going to do things. They just stick to the game plan. And in my sport, rugby, I think that leads to a lot of robotic play that yes. is extremely boring yep. because they just stick to the game plan. They don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to chance their arm, walk the tightrope, you know, potentially make a mistake like Campo was so fantastic at yeah. occasionally, but he won us so many games. You know, right. Without Campo, yeah. I reckon in 91 we wouldn't have won the World Cup. He was that wow. damn good. So I remember Tubby, um, it was one of my, probably my second game for New South Wales and we are on the team bus, landed in Adelaide. And you were reading out who's rooming with who. And it was Matthews and Whitney. And, and you said, I've got the young bloke. He's picked me, Tubby. I'm like, jeez. And I was, I was shitting myself. We, we, had a, we had a team dinner. We were sitting there. And then you said to me afterwards, 
boys probably go for a beer, but I'm going to head back. I said, I'll come back. He said, no, no, you can go for a beer if you want. I said, I'll come with you, Tub. And I remember we got, got, got in the room and I said – Good decision. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you want to shower first, Tub? He goes, oh, you have a shower. I said, no, you shower, Tub. And then – what do you want to watch, Tubby? <laughs> that lasted all the way, mind you. One game. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Who were the big characters, Tubby? Sorry. Oh, well, I was, gonna, I was just going to tell a story yeah. about was, – was it your first game for Australia, I think it may have been? One day. And Adelaide, I've got to tell that story because I love telling this. And it, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty well true. Uh, Shane came into the team, it would have been mid-90s. 95, Now, yeah. I don't know – if it was your first game or one of your first games mm. for Australia, one day cricket. And we had this team meeting about Shane Lee and I said to him, mate, good luck. You know, you're, you're in the side as an all-rounder, bowl a few overs, good good strike with the ball, hit him well, throw, you know, feel in the deep and, you know, <laughs> athletic, blah, blah, blah. He said, oh, thanks, Tub, looking forward to it. Well, the next day we go and play Sri Lanka at the Adelaide Oval and we, 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 we start to knock them over on a really good track. And gets the last 10 overs. And I've bowled Warney out. I've bowled McGrath out. They've done their 10 overs mm. and Shrank are in trouble. And um, and I'm thinking, gee, I left myself short, though, of our best bowlers to bowl at the end. <laughs> and I'm thinking, who am I going to bowl for the last 10? Well, I look over to Heels, I think it might yeah. be. Heels walks up and says, well, are you going to bowl Shane Lee at some stage? <laughs> yeah. oh, he is God, an all-rounder. God, I forgot, I forgot he was on the field. <laughs> <laughs> so I signalled to Shane. I said, Shane... You're Warm on, up. mate. So he starts warming up and he's got the dirts with me. Well, he comes on, he gets three or four wickets yeah. that there knocks him over, you know. And we and we go, we get the runs easy. I go to the press conference that night and they say, oh, mate, what about this idea of Shane Lee bowling in the last ten? I said, oh, yeah, it's something we discussed uh, last night in the team meeting. And they got the next day in the papers a tale of the tactical genius, yeah. you know. That's what I Bill Laurie Shane was playing. <laughs> Bill Laurie goes, oh, he's a genius, Mark Taylor, holding Lee back. <laughs> got on the bloody team. <laughs> That's a good one. All right, boys, I think we'll order some food. Um, so then we're going to have today from Kingsley Steakhouse here some beautiful dry-aged strip loin bone-in. And thanks to Scott McWilliams for bringing in the Mount Pleasant Maurice O'Shea 2014 Shiraz. That's going to go down fantastically well with a Kingsley steak. And we'll be back right after this. It's no secret I love a gin. And one of our sponsors here, Lunch With Lee, is the Gin Society, which I happen to be a member of. When you sign up, they'll send you a full-size bottle of amazing craft gin delivered to your door every two months, plus the latest issue of their beautiful gin journal magazine and a surprise gift absolutely free. Each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive, unique and exquisite drops from around the world. A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website, www.ginsociety.com. All listeners of Lunch With Lee can enjoy an exclusive $20 off their order when they join the Gin Society. Simply visit www.ginsociety.com. Just use the code LUNCHWITHLEE20 at checkout. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansports.com. Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. 
He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves you back. The funny thing is that once you retire, it's um, the stats are one thing, but it's often your, your mates and, and the characters within those teams that well, I remember anyway. It was some of the big characters you played with, obviously Merv. Oh, Merv. The two Victorians yeah. come straight to my Merv and yeah. Warney were yeah. the two real characters, I suppose. But they, you know, as you're alluding to with your question, they, they make the game fun. Yeah. They really do. Mm. And, uh, yes, they can be challenging at times for a, for a leader, but that that's what you're there for, to somehow mould those characters with your most conservative guy in your team. And as Nick said a moment ago, that you, you, you're not – Always best mates. Mm. You think of people who go to work on a daily basis, who mm. work in a school or, a, mm. or an office block. You can't tell me that the 40, 50, 100 people you work with, they're all good mates of yours. Some of them you probably walk in and you go, oh, I can't stand that yeah. guy or I can't stand that girl. Mm. But the bottom line is your job while you're there is to get on well enough with them to get the best possible output you can for your business. It's as simple as that. And cricket – Rugby union is exactly the same. So you know, Nick talked about you know the David Campisi being very mm. different to all the other players. That's fine, provided he fits into a, to the team yep. and, you, and your output's good, job done, and that's all you've got to do. Mm. One of our sponsors on the show, uh, Spartan Sports, Tubby, the CEO, Ben Carberry, was telling me a story only yesterday, and apparently you were his favourite cricketer growing up, and he said he paid about $2,500 to play around a round of golf with you. He's not a bad golfer, Ben, but he said he just went to water right to play golf with you. And he said he he was duck hooking. He said he didn't hit one fairway. He said you you could see Tubby's going, who is this hopeless Blake playing golf with? Right? Well, and he said he, he took seven shots in a bunker once and he was chipping over and he five putted. You think you'd pick up, wouldn't you? Was he talking yeah. about me or him? Because no. I tell you, my golf's gone to the, and to he, the dogs. He goes, afterwards, he said that he actually apologised to you, and, you know, even though I paid two hundred thousand dollars to play golf with you. He said, I, I said, Mark, the one thing I can do is buy a round of beers. So he said he went and bought four beers with it. I put them on a tray and spilled them all in your lap. Afterwards. <laughs> oh, that's it. Yeah, I do remember him. Yeah. I said, "What a tummy do you see?" He left straight after that. <laughs> well, I said the golf. The golf. You know, I, I said I'm very relaxed about the golf because my golf's that bad these days. It's not funny, but but spilling the beer that's just not on. Okay, I've got to draw exactly. the line somewhere. I'm out. <laughs> Tubby, you've plenty plenty of um, career highlights. What what would be your if you had to look back now? What's what's the one moment you you're most proud of? Oh, look, I'd probably say the West Indies yeah, in 1995. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you talk about making a change um, a, as a leader, and I think, I think we did as a side in 95. We, uh, 1991, in my sort of second or third year in the Australian side, and I was batting very well at the time, we go to the West Indies um, and we lose that series 2-1. And that was the hardest series I ever played in. Right. As in, an anywhere, opening batsman. Yeah, yeah. Anywhere in the world. People talk about travelling to Pakistan or India. That mm. was absolutely nothing, absolute walk in the park compared to going to the West Indies in 91. Do they it prepare was, green tops? No. No, they weren't. The, the, the pitches, were, were, they, were hard and, wow. they were hard and fast, but the, 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 the competition was just fierce. <laughs> yeah. And as an opening batsman, every game, and I played every game bar two one-dayers, mm. every 
side that was picked by the West Indies, including their under-23 side and their President's eleven that you all played in, had four fast bowlers and sometimes five. Mm -hmm. And they were just at you from the word go. So 91 West Indies, I came back and my wife actually said to me after two weeks when I got back home, she said, when are you going to settle down? I was just fired up. To, like you wouldn't believe. Yep. So you go there on in a hot 90- tin roof. Yeah. So mm. I went there four years later as the captain. Um, and we'd gone there in 91 almost in fear and dread of going to the West Indies. Well, in 95, I remember talking to the guys and saying, right, you know, fast bowling and short pitch fast bowling is, is, a, is a way, almost way of life, of, certainly a way of cricket here in mm. the West Indies. We've got to embrace it. Yeah. And we're going to talk about it in team, in team meetings. We're going to. We put the nets down at times and just had more like centre wicket practice. Well, okay. Bouncers were allowed. Yep. By fast bowlers, the whole lot. I remember Jason Gillespie running in and, and bouncing a mm. Ricky, very young Ricky Ponting and and hooking and balls going into the stand at practice. It was full on, and we we but we made we, we made it enjoyable. Yeah. Even though we knew it was going to be fierce <laughs> on the field. Yeah. And when we got out there, I, I think we just played better cricket and we won that series, two um, one. And we turned around. So 95 West Indies, I think, was just the the way we sort of – it wasn't conquering a fear, but it was conquering a big challenge Mm. for Australian cricket. There's no doubt they were on the decline as the the greatest side in world cricket at the time, and we were on the rise. But we needed to get over that hump, and I think in 95 we did. So to be the captain of that side was probably – my fondest memory as a captain. Do you bring back souvenirs? Like when I'd come back in the 80s from a six-week tour of New Zealand, mm. you know, you'd, you'd jump into a shower or bath and your wife would see you, you know, because rucking was basically allowed back then. It was full on. Yeah. And, and the All Blacks and, and all the provincial teams yeah. would get stuck in you from the deck. Did you bring back a lot of bruising and, and what have you? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, absolutely. No, I remember buying one of those oh, rib, 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 rib guards, guards and what have you. But every time you got hit with a short ball, it seemed to miss the guard. <laughs> you, you, you'd ride a ball and it just underneath it, then you push it down a bit and get just above it. You're I ended a bad up throwing bruiser it away. too, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you brought back a, yeah, mementos you didn't want. You didn't want. <laughs> Nick, what was the story when you were um, – I think it was the third game of a Bledisloe. You were, I think you were down two games to love and you talk about your cap scene going to that last match and you won mm. a game in Wellington. You celebrated with a um, skinny dip. Yeah, no. Well, I never saw a tub doing that. <laughs> well, that was – I mean, when I, when I think, Shane, about um, what Mark just talked about, the, the West Indies win, I, I think arguably our greatest win was 86 yeah. in New Zealand when we probably should have won 3-0. Um, There'd been four one-point matches between the All Blacks and the Wallabies. Um, so 84, third test at Sydney Crew Ground, one off 85, uh, Eden Park, and and um, and then there was there was a 13-12 win in Wellington for us in 86, and then a 13-12 loss in in Dunedin um, for us. So there's four one-pointers, but without doubt to knock them over. Um, we had a great win at Eden Park, sadly, the last time Australia's won in, in Auckland. Um, and that goes back, way back to 86. Yeah, yeah. But fast forward, every four years we would go on the six-week tour. Every four years they'd come to uh, to Australia for, for four years. So I was captaining on that six-week tour. We got beaten down in Christchurch, I think, by about 15 points. We were staying on the on the north shore of, of Auckland leading into the second test at uh, in Auckland. And um, Timmy Horan came up to me and said, you know, we're on the water. We we're staying in the place called the Mondesir, um, <laughs> little hotel. And, you know, it was on the harbour. And he said, look, Nick, how about if, if we win today, we'll have a dip in the harbour tonight. 
Timmy was always a prankster. I said, absolutely. <laughs> um, we lost by six points at Eden Park, but then we went to, uh, to Wellington um, for the third test and, and arguably the most important test mm. of my life because there was criticism of me and Dwyer as captain and coach. The Queenslanders were starting to put a bit of pressure on us. Um, we were very inconsistent. We lost a series against the Lions in 89. You know, we should have won that. Um, and so there was pressure building. And, yeah, we had a great victory that day. And I think we're in a nightclub. I, I recall my, my wife was there and, and what have you. But Timmy came up to me about 1 a.m. and said, remember, we were going to have a swim in uh, the Auckland Harbour. And I said, absolutely. He said, how about we do it in the Wellington Harbour? Um, <laughs> so we went down with our, our physio came and his wife, Greg Craig, Ange and Timmy. And, yeah, that started, uh, Shana, um, a tradition that if you you won in in New Zealand, you would yeah. have a late night dip, and I can still remember living in Paris and Buddha Handy, you know the uh, the commentator um, called me in Paris and uh, and said we're swimming in the Avon River in, in Christchurch, <laughs> so it didn't have to be a harbour, um, but yeah, no, it was it was a really important victory because then it set us on a, a path, just as, as Mark said about ninety five, and then. You know, setting them on a path to, to great success. Mm. No doubt that 1990 in Wellington, um, we realised that, that we had what it took to win a World Cup and then go beyond that. And, you know, 92, the three-test series against the All Blacks in Australia was was a time where I was really proud of because whilst we won the World Cup in 91, we realised we didn't play as well as we could have. In 92, we stepped it up and we won a great Bledisloe Cup against the All Blacks and then went to South Africa, remembering that, you know, they weren't a part of the 91 World Cup and beat them by a record score. They'd never been beaten by 23 points. So, 92 was a fantastic year. Well, boys, I want to thank you both for coming on the show. I think we're going to serve some steaks now from Kingsley's here. And, um, Lovely. But, uh, look, as I said at the start, I think you're two, not only great players, but great leaders. Even though you forgot I was in the team once, Tubby, but we'll, we'll, we'll forgive you for that one. But, You're um, on the outfield, mate. <laughs> and, and, and it's a lot for, for people to learn about their style of leadership and, and really moulding and bringing your own team together and getting the best out of everyone. So thanks again for your time, boys. Thanks, Sean. Pleasure, yeah, boys. Let's have a steak. Cheers, mate. Cheers. That's it for Lunch with Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Mark Taylor and Nick Farr-Jones. Thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work behind the scenes. And thanks to our sponsors, the Gin Society, Spartan Sports and O'Brien Beer. And thank you also to McWilliams Wines, And thanks to Kingsley Steakhouse for an amazing lunch. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And do us a favour, hit five stars, and if you're passionate, leave a review. And come find us on our socials. I'm at Lunch With Lee. Next week, we'll be chatting some more top dogs about music, sport and business on another cracker episode of Lunch With Lee. We'll see you then. (laughs) 